Words are powerful. They can heal or hurt, innovate or destroy, cure us, bring us down, and then bring us right back up again. The words we choose evoke feelings and responses in ourselves and those who hear us on a daily basis. They can even, if we are wise, be life-saving. Welcome to There's a Word for That, a podcast that explores a different word or expression each week in our relationship to it. I'm your host, Suzanne Dressler, and thank you for joining me on this journey. Hello, party people, and welcome to episode 15 of There's a Word for That. This is a two-part episode on the word courage, and I am so eager to delve into this word. It's one of my faves. Courage can mean many things. For some, it's the decision to move across the country, join the military, switch careers, get a degree they always yearn for. For others, it's when they decide to train for the New York City Marathon or mend a broken friendship or even take a class they were always too nervous to try. I have been in that situation. Sometimes it takes courage to just get out of bed in the morning and go about our daily activities. Life in its easiest form can still be painful and arduous. My dad's favorite artist was Billy Joel, and his favorite lyric of any Billy Joel song was from Angry Old Man. There's a place in the world for the angry old man, which is working class time. Okay, you all know the song most of you. And the lyric is, I've learned that just surviving is a noble fight. Hmm. I often repeat this sentence in my head, especially when I feel hopeless and or scared, as we all have in 2020. Along those lines, today's guest is the amazing Ramelda Tehran Benjamin, who is an insanely gifted and brilliant New York City actor. When we were discussing my interest in having her on the show, she said, my word is courage. And I knew our conversation would be exciting and insightful. It was also highly educational for me as a white woman to hear the daily struggles of a black woman in show business and simply in life. Her stories are very real, powerful, genuine, and she does not hold back in her honesty, which is most important when discussing issues of race and gender and the current political climate, in my opinion, we all really need to be honest with each other. This conversation truly taught me how to be a better ally and about the power of courage. I encourage, no pun intended, all of my white friends and audience to listen to her experiences. She is a remarkable human being. So welcome to part one of Courage. Okay, we have Ramelda Teron Benjamin here. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course, and her word is courage. And I want to dive right in because this is a word I love that I try to live my life by. And I know you've had a tremendous amount of experiences. We've talked before using this mantra on a daily basis. So start wherever you want to start. Tell me why you chose this word, first of all, and how it affects you. I chose the word courage because I feel like as a woman, as a Black woman living in this country, you have to have courage just to survive. And to top it off, I'm in the theater industry. So I'm in the entertainment industry. So I have a triple threat of being Black, being a woman, 
and being in an industry that's not always respected and that's very difficult to be in. Yeah. Um, and I think it takes, you know, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I moved here right after doing the gig and I didn't know anybody. I think I knew one person. And it was funny because my mom's like, well, how can you move to New York and you don't know anybody? Like, what are you going to do? Who are you going to call if you get in trouble? And all I kept thinking was, I have one or two options. I can stay here in Pittsburgh <laughs> and pop out some babies. And by the time I'm 45, be ready to kill myself. Or I can go pursue this dream and pray that it is exactly what I always imagined that it would be for me. And that took courage because I was 20. When I first got to New York, I think I was like 20, 21. Like I left school because, you know, my advisor was like, there is nothing else that we could teach you. It wasn't a very racially accepting school. Where did you go? Do you mind my asking? Point Park. Oh, Point Park. really? And it wasn't right. I wonder if it's still that way. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's still that way. I, it, I talked to somebody who graduated in like 2000 and. 14 or 15 and he told me and he's a um, african-american gentleman and he told me nothing has changed he's that's like, horrible it's still a really racist department it's still a really racist school and the sad part is that there's nobody you can go to because even when i had problems i went to the dean of the school and he looked at me like well exactly what do you want me to do and i'm like anything <laughs> anything <laughs> i'm paying my money yeah. anything at all anything yikes but nothing was done so i had to you know and you're young uh, right like college was hard for me there's like no one you could go to and it's i had horrible. to deal with it but it took courage and that's when i learned i think that's when i started using the word and the mantra courage because i knew it was gonna it was gonna take a lot of courage for me to exist just to exist i was going to have to have courage i could either lay down and die and shrivel up and just not be noticed. Or I could have the courage to put myself out there and say, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to do that. And so for me, I know for me, every decision that I've made in my life has required, okay, we need the courage to do this. Because you you doubt yourself. You know what I mean? You tell yourself, oh, I don't want to do this today. I, can I do it? But it takes a certain amount of courage that you have to have to be able to exist in this world, especially as a black woman um there's no other option could you share some experiences i mean obviously like you said it's an everyday battle and as a black woman that's your identity do you have any particular experiences in well two things that i'm curious to hear about as an actress myself in show business where you found tremendous courage to overcome a situation whether it was because you're a black woman or just because you're an actress and could you also if you don't mind sharing an experience where you faced, you know, overt racism and you, you had to rely on your courage as a human being to overcome it. Do you mind sharing that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in theater, as you can see in theater, we, we're going through this diversity movement yes. in the last couple of months where we're fighting for brown people, you know, and to be heard. And it's so funny when this all first started, when it started to really hit, where people were coming forth with their stories about being in shows, it's so funny to me because, you know, up until recently, there was nowhere for you to go. 
if you had an issue where a choreographer was being a racist ass or a producer was making racist comments, like there was nowhere for you to go. Right. Where could you go? Yeah. Especially if it's a producer, they're giving the money. They have the power to fire you. You know, I had, you know, I had a producer say to me one time, she came up to me and she said, how tall are you? And I was like, oh, I'm 5'10". And she's like, oh, well, you know, that's generally, so I guess you're big bone too, because, you know, that's generally something that's with your people is that you're, you're big all over. <gasps> I'm like, she okay. did not, she did yeah. not. And Holy what producer she's, team she's from, because she's from a pretty major one. But when she said that to me, first of all, she's the same height as me. And so when she is, she was also a pretty statuesque woman. Your people, you people, people. like your people. If that sounds, if that's not like colonialism, I don't know what is. But there's nowhere for you to go. Like, where do you go Mm -hmm. when a choreographer says to you, oh, well, you know, you you can't do it because you're black. You can't do that accent because you're black. Because someone wants you to do a German accent and you, go and you learn how to do a German accent and a choreographer says to you, oh, well, she can't do it. We'll have the, we'll have the tall, lanky blonde do it. And you're kind of like, well, I'm sorry. Why, why can't I learn a German accent? There are people who have German accents or who learn German if they're in the military or what have you. And when he said that again, because he's a huge choreographer, what do you do? You don't, you don't, there's, there's, there's nowhere, point, to there's nowhere to go. And we're talking about in 2009 and in 2004 and six when these things are happening, but there's nowhere for you to go. I mean, now they're saying it's going to be a better situation for brown people and black people when, you know, when it comes to that, and you'll be able to go to equity and et cetera. And we have to see what it's going to be like when theater returns, because that's yeah. my whole thing. People are starting all these these organizations and things but i'm like the test the real testimony will be when theater comes back and how the industry behaves because you're saying this now but we've been dealing with this forever we've been dealing with the bullcrap from the hair people telling us oh i don't like the texture of your hair or it's hard to find a wig to match the texture of your hair to 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 costume people you know, saying things like, oh, well, you're a bigger bone girl. It's like, okay. Why would you say that to anyone? But but if you ask any Black person, particularly a woman in this industry, because the men have a little bit better, not much better, a teeny bit better. But as a woman, there's so many ways that you can insult her as far as her looks are concerned. So I think the true testament to me will be when theater comes back, how many of these people stand by what they're saying. And if you do have a problem in the show, can you really go to these different organizations and will they help you or will it be backlash? Because that's always the fear. It's like, I don't want to lose my job. I got bills to pay. I don't want to be deemed as difficult if I speak up for myself. If you have the courage to stand your ground and to say what should be said and what's your birthright, are you going to be fired? You know, I, I just thought of I would like to hope you would think, you would think, but we never know with equity, do we? Because mm-hmm. we know what equity is like. You would right. think that they would have diversity training. You would think that anyone in the CSA, that anyone in, which is the Casting Society of America, anyone who's in the choreographer and directors, the stagehand union, the 
the wig, the, you would think that anyone who is part of those organizations, legitimately part of, would be required to go through two to th- two or three days of diversity training. I mean, when I did a show at the Met, when I was in Das Rheingold, we had to have, I was an acting role, but they had all the, the um, supernumeraries do, they had to give us, we had to have a day, it was like two hours about harassment training. And the sexism, because the Met had a huge blowout a few years ago. And so now they're required to do the training and they are very strict about if there's a problem, you go to HR and don't like, and they talk about, we are not allowed to retaliate. Do not feel like you can't come to us because they were called out on an international level for the sexism that had existed in the sec and the harassment. And I'm thinking it would be beyond foolish for the unions to not, for SAG, AFTRA, AGMA, Equity, to not require this. But who knows? Like you said, I don't trust, I trust SAG more because they have more money, mm-hmm. but I don't trust equity. Well, and the other thing is, you know, it's so funny to me that I've gone through more sexual harassment trainings than I've gone through diversity training. Mm-hmm. Every single job I've had, sexual harassment, sexual harassment, I'm like, yep. That that's not a it's a problem, but I'm like you know we have another problem that's a mm-hmm. much bigger problem is how you talk to black people or how you talk to Hispanic people or how you talk to an Asian person. Like we we have a bigger problem because when you make comments or you make statements that are geared towards their their nationality, that's a problem. Like I had a wig person tell me one time because she wanted to do something to my hair. And I said, well, I'll pin curl my hair because I had extensions in and she didn't know how to work them. And she goes, well, I can do it. I did hair on Motown. I was like, I don't give a damn if you did hair on Motown because you did hair on Motown. That means you get a black card that you can put your hands in my hair. No. And it's the idea thinking of that when I hear statements like that, oh, well, I did Motown. Or, you know, I got me two good girl, black girlfriends and they wear their hair natural. I'm like, that's still not something I care about. Like, I don't want to know that. I'm glad that you have these two black female friends with natural hair. Good for you. (laughs) But the fact that you're going around telling people tells me that you don't understand exactly what you're doing. Or you don't understand the damage that you're causing by making that statement to another black woman. Well, and that's the thing about diversity training is it has to be done not just by the people in charge. It has to be done by the people that are the victims of the abuse and of the racism. You, I would learn much more from you speaking at a diversity training than I would from a union rep. Right. Unless that union rep is a black woman who's been through what you've been through. Like you have, there has to be a dialogue where somebody can say, you're white, you don't get it. Here, let me explain it to you so that you do get it or at least get it enough so that you're not hurting me emotionally mm-hmm. and, you know, and adding to my pain because most people don't want to add to people's pain, but I find that anyway. So that, that must, I mean, when people say that to you, I would imagine those moments, you're just sort of like, courage, Ramelda, courage. I don't get your face. You have to tell yourself. I'm just like, when those moments happen, I'm like, okay, girl, look at the bigger picture. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture. But now it's like, I don't know. Now it's a thing of like, I have to have the courage to stand up for myself. And I'm like, I'm not putting up with it. We're not doing this. I'm not doing this anymore. 
I'm not putting up with it. You know, I'm still weary to see, like I said, when things come back, how, you know, how equity actually handles these situations where we call and complain and say, listen, I was in a room full of white people and including creatives behind the table. I'm the only black person in the room besides from a swing who y'all haven't hired yet because y'all don't need to hire one. Cover me. You know, this statement was said and for equity to do something. But it's also going to be a thing of the cast, those cast standing behind that particular actor. Because I know for me and a lot of other yeah. brown and black people, the problem, the biggest problem isn't that you're speaking out. The second biggest problem is that you're speaking out alone. Because so we're scared. Because, and by we, I mean actors. Because we are taught from the beginning, as you know, that we are replaceable. And we right. are. We are very replaceable, every single one of us. And I, I mean that in the physical sense, not like in an emotional mm-hmm. sense. And I would imagine that that must make you feel very, or must make any person of color feel very alone mm-hmm. and very demoralized. Like when there's these people that you go to lunch with every day, that's what the, that's what the knife uh, in the back is. Uh, it's like, it'll be yeah. like, because you know, you get in shows and you gravitate towards certain people. You're a family. You're a family and you end up kind of being, I don't want to say clicky, mm-hmm. you find your home, you find your little family within mm-hmm. the past. Mm-hmm. And when you find that little family and it's like something unjust happens and they don't stand up for you, you sit there and you look at them in a whole new light. You look at them like, okay, so are we really friends? Are we really family? Or is this just you putting on airs? Cause then that's where you get, I'm liking this word ally that people are throwing around because it's like, yes, you need white allies because this nothing can get done without a white ally. Like you need, to, yes. you need somebody to be in your corner and say, no, I heard what this director said to her. It was inappropriate. They would have never said it to me and it was wrong. Like when you get that, then I feel like people are not looking at you as the, as the complaining or difficult black woman because that's what you're labeled as automatically as this as difficult Mm -hmm. all automatically you're labeled as difficult especially if you're a black woman it's like oh well she's difficult there's been many a times where i didn't even get called into the room because i had the courage to stand up for myself and the first thing they said was oh well you know remelda can be difficult no i'm not difficult i just don't think it's appropriate that this person said this to me and I said something about it. So then you you go into the world where you're like, well, not don't let me say anything. And there's so many actors of color who are like, I'm not saying anything. Well, you're silenced. You're being in the show. You're silenced. You're silenced. It's like almost being raped, where you you where they always say to you, you know, they re-rape you. It's almost like being re-attacked when they put you on the stand. And that's what it's like when they call you into these rooms and go, okay, so I hear there was a problem. You're like, why is it all you guys sitting there and me here by myself? So what, like that, that already looking at that coming into a room, which I have been a part of just having a panel of white faces basically look at me and be like, okay, so they're saying that this is a problem. Are you unhappy? Is this going, I'm like, no, I'm not unhappy, but I'm not going to put up for somebody talking to me crazy. Right. So you have to, you have to apologize for their racism. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And people, I imagine actors don't come forward. This is an issue too with, with money. I know this has been an issue in the union for a long time with 
with weekly salaries and actors willing, union actors willing to take a job for terrible, terrible, insulting money because they know there's always somebody that will do it. So it's the same concept. I mean, it's not the same concept, but it's a similar ideology that until everyone takes a stand, it will keep happening. So until the people that know a black person was harassed or the victim of racism or target of any kind of emotional or physical distress, until the people that saw it and know that it happened for a fact and are willing to stand behind you or that person, it will keep, it will, I I don't need to tell you this, but I know it will keep happening because we've all seen it happen. We've all seen injustices happen is my point. It's fear for some. And yes, there, because I have a lot of white friends who are like, I don't care anymore. I'm speaking out. I don't give a dang, like whatever. It's going to be what it's going to be. I'm sick of seeing my friends treated this way. I'm sick of seeing, you know, my colleagues treated this way, et cetera. But then you get, you know, I've also known some white people who are just like, well, I don't see a problem. What You don't see a problem that like you're treated differently than I am. I don't see a problem. And I'm like, oh, okay. But then that also tells you the person that you're dealing with. And so then, you know, most of the time you're like, okay, I don't do, I'm not going to deal with you since I know how you are. Right. And if there's something that happens where their rights or something happens to where their rights are being messed with, then they go to the thing. Oh, I need everybody to stand behind me. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Because this isn't a problem. Like you, you know, it's, it's that thing of like, if a woman says, oh, well, I was sexually harassed and nobody believes her, it's that same feeling of like, no, we're going to stand behind her. Because although I didn't see it, I know what you're telling me. And I'm right. going to believe what you said. And I'm going to stand behind you 100% and we're going to fight this together. That's me. That's me across the board with anything when it comes to right to somebody else. I'll be fi- I'm the queen of fighting somebody else's battle that had nothing to do with me. First of all, that's amazing. And that's why I like you. But also, that's courageous. Yeah. Because when you think about, think of, I think of, um, I mean, I've often thought about this, you know, as a white person, what would I have done during the time of slavery? If I could, if I had the opportunity, I mean, granted, I'm Jewish, so I wouldn't have even been here. You know, my ancestors were in like, you know, <laughs> Poland living in shtetls, trying not to get killed in pogroms, which is actually a true right. story. My great grandmother almost did get killed in a pogrom and I was this close to not existing because uh, my grandpa hadn't been born yet. Crazy story. But I do wonder what I would have done if I had had the opportunity to help someone like Harriet Tubman, right? Would I have been one of the white people that, you know, pointed the right direction to her or the Underground Railroad where they had, well, that was the Underground Railroad, but when slaves would escape, there were homes that they knew they could go to. Yeah, You know what I'm saying. Would I have I, been one of the Southerners or Northerners who would have helped the slaves escape in secret? Or would I have turned my back and said, it's too dangerous? I don't have the courage to do this because it does take courage. Same thing with the Holocaust or any genocide, right? When you're willing, you think about Germans who the people, you know, when like Anne Frank, the people that saved, that put her in the attic, Mm -hmm. they were risking their lives 
by hiding Jews. But and that took a lot of courage. And I think it's yeah. the same thing in a show or on a set or in any job. It doesn't even have to be show business to speak out when you see injustice happening to someone else. Mm-hmm. And- I just think it's I was just raised a certain way that I was just raised that you're supposed to have morals and values and you're supposed to be a good person. And so for me, I've always been that child that felt sorry for the underdog. And you may have been like the bad guy, but then all of a sudden you turned your life around. Like I am famous for that in movies. Like if they start out bad and then something bad happens to them, then I'm like, well, I don't think anything bad should happen. But, you know, I just think, I think it has a lot to do with your moral compass and what you're willing to watch happen in front of you because so many things happen in front of people like George Floyd. I think about the people who stood there I know. and had to watch this man be murdered. And I think to myself, if I was standing there, would I be the, would I be willing to be the next victim? And that's what you have to ask yourself, particularly in our situation is as a black woman, as a black person, if I had jumped in to try to help, the police, I mean, try to help George Floyd or take them off of him, was I ready to die? Because that is a very strong possibility that, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're murdering him in front of us. So a very strong possibility is if you jump in and try to help this man, will you be murdered? Are you willing to put your life down for this? And, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, I was walking down the street and I saw the police arresting a man and I, and I saw that they were getting rough and I kept walking and there was something inside of me was like, if you turn your back on this, you're no better. And I say it's a, it's a something that was inside of me. I like to think it was God that was yeah. whatever spiritual force that was there. And I turned around and I went to go record it. And nothing ended up happening. Like, I didn't hear anything on the news. Anything happened. I watched them put him in the police car. But I went back and stood there. And I think I was on my way to work. And I ended up being, like, a couple minutes late for work. But I stood there and I recorded it so that, God forbid, if something happened to this man, I could say, no, this is not what happened. This is what I reported. This is what happened. To me, that took courage because there were people who were turning and walking because it was a scene. But I thought to myself that if that was me, my mother would want somebody to turn around and get a record of what happened to her child so that if she had to stand in front of a court of law, she could have proof and evidence to say, no, this is what happened to my child. What they're saying is a lie. That did not happen to my child. So I think as, a, as human beings, we have to be willing to say, you know what, if, I, if it was me, how would I want somebody to behave? The same way if I saw a woman getting attacked, how would I want somebody to behave? Do you know what I mean? Like I remember years and years ago when I was living in Jersey, there was a girl on the path train who was inebriated beyond control. I think she was on drugs. I think she, I mean, she was done for. And I remember there was a guy who kept flirting with her and I was sitting next to them and she was, I mean, she was done. Yep. She was mm-hmm. done for. She couldn't. And mm-hmm. She couldn't function. And so he was like, oh, yeah, come to my house. And so they got off the train and we were all we all got off the train together. And I grabbed her by her arm because he had her by her hand. It was leading her out the train and he didn't know her. 
And I grabbed her by her arm and I said, do you know him? And she said, no. And I grabbed her and I said, you're coming with me. And he's yelling and calling me all type of names and, and all type of ism. I mean, like he was going off. Thank you so much for listening today. If there is a word or phrase you would love to have covered on the show, please don't hesitate to reach out. And remember, whatever you are thinking, feeling, or experiencing, there's always a word for that. See you next time.